You are listening to a message from Foothills Church in Miraville, Tennessee. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com. Well, good morning. Good to see you guys here today. If you've got your Bibles, let's go to John chapter 16. I almost said 6. John chapter 16 uh, is where we're going to be today. Um, And as you do, we are eight days into our 90-day challenge. So um, I know uh, many of you uh, a couple weeks ago made the commitment uh, to begin to give a percentage. Some of you said that you were going to give over and above that. And so encouraging you guys to continue to do that. I've talked to so many people who just said, have been saying that, that, that giving for the first time is just a really freeing act of worship. And so I know uh, many people are going to be blessed by that. And I know our church is going to be blessed by that um, in the future. Um, today, we're going to dive back into the Gospel of John. Now, if you're new here, uh, we started the first chapter of John back in September 2014. And so we've been, we've been kind of taken at eight to 10 week chunks. And so uh, taking breaks from, from time to time to do other series. But we've been going chapter by chapter through the book of John. And so today we dive back into it and we're going to actually finish it over the next eight weeks. We're going to go through the remaining, uh, I think, six chapters of John. And so uh, this is a, a great series for you to dive deeper into God's word. And so I encourage you guys to uh, read ahead, read the chapter before we actually dive into it on Sunday morning, get a commentary maybe to help you dive in a little bit deeper as well, pray through it, um, think about it, and then as you come on Sunday mornings, um, as I speak, as God speaks, God just does, uh, has so much more room and margin in your life to um, uh, just grow your heart and, and grow your faith. And so this is going to be great for you to dive deeper. Uh, also, if you're in a small group, you're going to be diving into it even further uh, in your group. This is also great to invite uh, people to our church. So folks that aren't connected anywhere, who maybe have questions about faith or who are you know, far from God, this is a great series for them because we get, uh, we get to experience some of the fundamental, essential um, doctrines of our faith. We're going to be going through these last uh, six chapters, and the last six chapters of John are really the last day of Jesus' life. So we're going to be looking at his arrest, his uh, crucifixion, his resurrection. These are some of the most remarkable truths that we celebrate and worship Jesus for. And so this is going to be a very helpful uh, series, I think, over the next um, eight uh, weeks. So encourage you guys to invite some folks. We're going to dive into it right now. Let me start by asking this. What makes you happy? Like what really makes you happy? Not like, did you have a good weekend happy we won the game happy, but like what really makes you happy? I don't know, when you think about that, I think some of us would say in the room, you know, there are so many things going on in my life, Trent, that I'm not really happy. Like I'm, I'm not really experiencing happiness right now. I mean, I, I have like moments where things are okay, but for the most part, I'm, I'm not really happy and, and I don't feel happy. Now, how many of you, by show of hands, everybody participating this morning, have a Facebook account. How many of you guys have a Facebook account? You have one. All right. All right. So many of us in the room. Uh, did you know no one really joins Facebook to be sad and lonely? But a new study from the University of Michigan, a man by the name of Ethan Cross, argues that through his research, uh, Facebook um, makes us feel unhappy. It makes us feel lonely. Cross found that the more people use Facebook, the less happy they felt, and the more their overall satisfaction declined. 
This research is also, um, I guess, supported by a man named Robert Crowd, a researcher at Carnegie Mellon uh, University. He found that the more people use the web, the lonelier and more depressed they felt. After people went online for the first time, their sense of happiness and social connectedness began to drop. Now, nobody gets on Facebook to feel unhappy, right? I think the intention there is to feel more connected or the intention is to feel, you know, more happy about life because we think it's going to be fun. But in so many cases, it does the exact opposite. It creates envy in us as we look at pictures and families who have things that we don't have, you know? And then we get jealous and then we get bitter and, and, and then we, we, you know, we kind of you know, dive deeper into darker places in our life. We could go on and on about how, how that affects us. And so, you know, the point here that I'm trying to make is that sometimes the things that we think are going to make us happy actually do the exact opposite. They make us unhappy. And so in our minds, you know, we think it's going to be a good thing. We think it's going to bring us happiness. But at the end of the day, it does not. Happiness is something that we all desire. In fact, Happiness is something that God wants us to experience. God designed us to experience joy. He designed us to be happy. But it's interesting that so many, even believers, don't really experience it. It seems like it's so elusive. We, we try so hard in our culture. We have so many things that we you know, would look at and think that, oh man, of course our culture, our society would feel happy with all the various ways to, to experience it but it's so elusive, we struggle to find it. But the reality is, we're looking in the wrong place. We have the wrong idea what, what, what happiness or, or how to get happiness. And so some of us live our life with the, you know, this idea that, that if I'm recognized, then I'm gonna be happy. And so we fight for recognition. Uh, but we realize that nobody is gonna recognize us because everybody is so busy trying to get their own res- recognition, they're not gonna recognize you. Some of us think that things will be happy or I'll be happy when life becomes perfect. When this situation ends and, and this problem ends, then I'll be happy. You know, there's a problem at work, there's a problem at church, there's a problem somewhere. When that gets resolved, then I'll be happy. But we come to find out that as soon as that situation ends, another situation arises. And so life is never going to be perfect. Some of us chase money to find happiness. And so research again and again shows us that, that money Uh, plays a very small role in our happiness. Once our basic needs are met, that doesn't bring us happiness. And then some of us are people pleasers. So we think uh, we'll be happy when we can please everybody. But we all know that that never happens because you can't please anyone. Uh, You can't please everyone. Sorry, you can please some people, I guess, but you can't please everyone. You're gonna eventually, you know, turn somebody off. You're gonna, gonna, you know, offend somebody because it's impossible to make everybody happy. So we're looking in the wrong places, we're trying in the wrong places, but today Jesus is going to show us how to be happy, right? He's going to show us, and what he's doing here in this chapter is he's beginning his farewell speech. He's saying goodbye to the disciples, and he's preparing them for what's about to happen. Now, when he has this conversation, it's probably Thursday, Thursday afternoon, right? Some people maybe think Wednesday, but, but probably Thursday afternoon. Now, this is important because he's about to go to the garden and pray Thursday night. In the wee hours of Friday morning, he's arrested. And before noon on Friday, he's crucified. So as he's saying this, keep that in mind. Like he is about to be arrested. He is about to be killed. The time is at hand. And he is preparing his disciples for what is about to happen. 
So let's turn to chapter 16, beginning in verses 1. We'll keep your Bibles open. We're going to come um, kind of take it chunk by chunk here. Let's go to the first four, four verses. This is Jesus talking here, and he says, I have said all of these things to you to keep you from falling away. Now, falling away doesn't mean from losing your salvation. So many people kind of jump straight to that idea. That's not what he means. He, mean, he wants them to be steadfast. He wants them to be strong. So I don't, want you to, I don't want you to get weak. I don't want you to lose you know, your focus. I want you to be strong here. And he says, they will put you out of the synagogue. Indeed, the hour is coming. Every time Jesus talks about the hour is coming, he's, he's alluding to his crucifixion. This is the pinnacle moment in his life. He says, it's coming when uh, whoever kills you will think he is offering a service to God. And they will do these things because they have not known the Father nor me. But I have said these things to you that when their hour comes, you may remember that I told them to you. So Jesus says here in the first four verses that persecution is coming. They're going to put you out of the synagogue. It's not if or maybe. He's saying most definitely persecution is coming. So we often think that when you know, bad things happen or things aren't going so well for us that God is judging us or you know, God, God is pouring out his wrath upon us, but that's not always the case. Jesus said that you're doing the right thing. You're, you're gonna follow me. You're not gonna fall away. You're gonna be doing what I'm asking you to do, and yet they're going to persecute you. They're going to throw you out of the synagogue, which is what, a huge deal. That was a big deal at the time because that was the only place that you could worship. We know now we can worship at home, we can worship at the, you know, wherever, we can, we can go to, you know, this location, we can go to another location, worship God. But back then, that, there was only one synagogue. You had to be there to actually offer your worship to God. Being kicked out was a huge deal, and he says they're going to kick you out. It's not because you're doing anything wrong, it's because this is part of my plan. This is what I want to see happen. They won't let you in anymore. They are actually going to kill some of you. Like it's not a, a maybe, some of you are going to die because you follow me. So look, the, the idea here is that living the Christian life is difficult. It's a way of suffering. It's a way of struggle. So as believers, we have to stop thinking that, that being a believer means that everything is going to be peachy. Everything is going to be wonderful all the time. That's not what Christianity is. That is not what following Jesus Christ looks like. Jesus makes it clear that it's a very difficult path. This persecution, though, is not coming from a government, right? It's not the government's fault. It's actually going to come from religious people. Isn't that something? That this persecution, that this anger, that this rage would come from the religious people of the day. Now, this is not hard for us to believe, is it? You think about the life of even the, the church back in, uh, when, when they were going through the inquisitions, the Roman Catholic Church, killing people because they were deeming them heretics, right? You know, even fast forward today, we could go through, you know, the crusades and all these kinds of things. Fast forward even, you know, throughout the last several decades where, you know, Islamic, you know, terrorists are killing in the name of God. Jesus predicts this. He says they will kill you. You know, the religious people of that day killed them because they were in this uh, frame of mind thinking that what they were doing was for God. Exactly what terrorists would do today. Kill Christians, kill innocent people, thinking in their mind that what they are doing is actually for God. You see, there, you know, this, this, is, this is all over you know, the world. 
And even in, you know, the Christian churches, people do things in the name of God, you know, that are sinful. I mean, how many stories have you read? How many, you know, things have we seen on the news where either a pastor or a church member would would do something outrageous, they would sin against somebody and say, well, God told me to do it. I mean, all of my pastoral friends, you know, talk to them, they have experienced, even somebody in their own church who, who has said, God told them to do something. And that something led to disunity, it led to gossip, it led to slander, it led to all kinds of hurt feelings. And yet their claim was, well, God's telling me to do it. Here's what Jesus says. They're going to do this. Why? Because they have not known the Father, nor have they known me. So their sin is going to warp their thinking in such a way that they actually believe that sinning is okay because God is telling me to do this. Folks, God is not going to tell you to do something that's going to lead to disunity in his church. God is not going to tell you to do something that's going to lead you to kill somebody. Right? That is not God. That's probably the enemy. And so Jesus makes it clear this persecution is going to take place. And then let's continue, hop on down to verse five. He says, I do not say these things to you from the beginning because I was with you, but now I'm going to him who sent me and none of you asked me, where are you going? But because I have said these things to you, sorrow has filled your heart. If you've got your own Bible, circle that word sorrow. He's gonna say it multiple times today. Sorrow has filled your heart. Nevertheless, I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. I still have many things to say to you, but you cannot bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will declare to you the things that are to come. In this section, Jesus says, I'm going away. I'm leaving you. And me leaving you is going to make you sad. It's going to bring sorrow into your heart. But it's for your own good that I go away. Because I am going to go away. And when I go away, I'm going to send the counselor. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit to you. Now, I can imagine the disciples at this point saying, no, 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 no. It's not good that you leave Jesus. Stay with us. Don't go go anywhere. We we don't want you to to leave us now. We we don't want, you know, to to, to not be around you. That's not a good thing for us, Jesus. We need you here. It would be better to have you than the Holy Spirit. We don't even know what you're talking about here. But Jesus says the counselor, the Holy Spirit, is going to come and he's going to He's going to speak truth to you. He's going to guide you. Trust me on this, he says. You see, how often in our life does Jesus do something and we sit back and we say, no, 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 this isn't the good, this isn't the right thing, God. This should not be happening to me right now. You know, I can imagine the disciples freaking out at this point saying, no, 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 this is better. See, we have to have a bigger vision for Jesus than what we have. Instead of this small little microscopic view of what we think he should and should not do, what he's capable of and not capable of, and realize that he is much bigger than we can ever comprehend. We've got to get a bigger vision of what he's doing in our life. 
and not settle for the small things that we think he might do and realize that his will and his way is much, much bigger than your way. Verses 16 and 19 here, they wanted to ask Jesus a question, right? And so, so he, he gets it, so he, you know, he, he's like, you know, we're, they're saying, what in the world do you mean, Jesus? That's basically what they're saying. So hop down to 19, and we'll read the following. He says this, Jesus knew that they wanted to ask him, so he said to them, is this what you're asking yourselves, what I meant by saying a little while and you will not see me, and again a little while and you will see me? Truly, truly, I say to you, truly, truly just means says, yo, listen to this, this is a big deal, right? I say to you, you will weep and lament, but the world will rejoice. What's he referring to here? He's referring to the cross. You're going to weep. Sorrow is going to be in your heart. The world is going to be pumped up. They're going to be fist pumping. They're going to be happy and excited, but sorrow is going to fill your heart. But then look at what he says. But your sorrow will turn into joy. Isn't that great? Your sorrow will turn into joy. Verse 21, he gives us an illustration. He says, when a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also, you have sorrow now. But I will see you again and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take your joy from you. And that day you will, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you have not asked anything in my name. Ask and you will receive that your joy may be complete. Well, let's unpack this a little bit. Jesus says you're gonna weep. There's gonna be anguish in your heart, but the world is gonna be happy. You're suffering though, will turn to joy. How many times in your life has something happened that, that brought sorrow into your life and you begged God to change the situation? It's happened to me before. God, please take this away. This is not good. This has to change. I mean, I can imagine the disciples saying this in the same way. What do you mean it's better for you to leave, Jesus? Who is this Holy Spirit guy anyway? Sounds very charismatic. You know, we're Baptists, Jesus. You know, It's like, what's going on here? It's difficult to trust God when you're depressed and when you're sad, isn't it? When sorrow has filled your heart because it doesn't feel like God is there and it doesn't feel like he's doing what he should be doing. We've all been there. We've all struggled in that pain, but Jesus has a plan for your pain, doesn't he? He's got a plan for the disciples' pain in this moment. And he doesn't make people sin to cause those things to happen to you, but people do sin. And when people sin against you, it hurts. When the unexpected events of life take place, it causes grief, it, it causes pain. And Jesus doesn't stop their pain. He doesn't stop their suffering. Many of the disciples did get murdered. He doesn't stop that. Some of you are like, Jesus, when are you gonna stop this? How, how, like the psalmist says, how long, O oh Lord, 
will this continue? How long until you change? Until you change the situation? Until you change this, this feeling that I have in my heart and, and it doesn't feel like he is changing anything and it's frustrating and we're, we're looking around wondering, where are you at, God? And, and man, we can get mad at God, can't we? We can blame ourselves. We should have, we could have. We can blame others. We could let our emotions rule over our life you know, emotions are a good thing, but you can't allow yourself to, to make decisions when you're emotional. Never write an email when you're emotional. Never make a decision when you're emotional. You've got to detach from that, calm down before you make a decision. And then in verses 21 and 22, he gives us a picture of what he's talking about. So all the moms in the room, you can relate to this. And dads, we can kind of, you know, kind of remember the situation and somehow kind of remember it a little bit, Right? When your wife went into labor, especially your firstborn, and how nervous you were and how scared you were. And by the way, there's been like five people have babies in the last month at Foothills. Like, I don't know what is in the water here, but um, Jenny Haynes and uh, AJ just had their baby a couple days ago. So, you know, when that first happens, you're scared. You don't know what's going to happen, you know, and, and you rush to the hospital and, and uh, you get to the hospital and, and um, like, like you, you, the, the pain for, for you know, the, the women is immense, you know, labor pains, and, and it's probably, you know, several hours of pain before you actually go to the hospital, you know. And I just remember going, and, and uh, my wife was just in so much pain, and, and like they, they, they almost didn't get the epidural in time for her, which would have been a really bad thing. And like we're, we're sitting there, and um, like I, I don't like telling the story, but I, that they said, Dad, we need your help you know, let, let, let your wife like lean on you while we give the epidural, you know, it's in the lower back. And so my wife is kind of, she's kind of laying on me. And, and so I can see what the doctor is doing with the epidural. And I kind of have a weak stomach when it comes to like hospitals and stuff like that. And, and like, you know, he's, he's got this needle and like blood and, 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 and he didn't, you know, get it in the right spot the first time. And so I'm, I'm sitting there and I'm, I'm giving it one of these, and the nurse is like, Dad needs help, Dad needs help. So, so they grab her, they grab me, and they put me down in a chair, and they're, I got like three nurses cracking open a Coke and bringing me cookies and stuff, and Mike is on the bed in labor going, I'm the one in labor. It's hilarious, good times. So Jesus says, look, this is, this is what it's like. You remember, ladies, when you went into labor, all the pain, all the anguish, all the anxiety, all the emotion, and then you, you give birth. And then they bring that precious little baby girl, that little boy, and they, they place him into your arms. And you forget about all the anguish. You forget about all the pain because there is a new life in your life. <laughs> there is a precious gift from God. And so you forget about that pain. And, and today, you could probably remember some of it, but, but you would look at that pain and you would go, oh man, I would go through it again to have this, this child. I mean, this, this child was the gift of, of life to me. This was amazing. And so, so Jesus says, remember the pain, but remember now the joy that you have. It was all worth it. And he says, this is what it's like to follow me. Get this today, guys. You're gonna go through pain and suffering in this world. Some of it is your fault because you make bad decisions. Some of it is just because there is sin in the world. The world is fallen. Evil takes place. Death is in the world. But Jesus says, hold on to this truth. 
There's purpose in your pain. You're gonna experience this suffering, but you will have joy. You're going to experience joy. It's gonna be like giving birth, all the pain, all the anguish, but it's all going to be worth it. It's all going to make sense. It doesn't make sense now. It, it, it's, it's completely ridiculous now. But he says, I, 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 I want you to have faith now. I want you to have faith that there is purpose in this pain. There is purpose behind this suffering. Jesus' point is that the disciples are definitely going to suffer here. He's going to leave. They're going to be persecuted. They're going to kill them. But he says, look, the pain and the suffering and your sorrow is going to turn into joy. If you, let's hop back up to verses eight and nine because this is important and then we'll, we'll come back. But verses eight and nine tell us what the Holy Spirit's job is, what the Holy Spirit is gonna do. Again, in verses eight and nine, he says, this is what's wrong in the world. He answers the question, what's wrong with the world? In, in verse eight, he says, and when he comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. So the Holy Spirit comes to tell us what's right. See, we don't know uh, uh, we, we don't know what's wrong oftentimes, but he tells us what's wrong. And when, he, when we trust God's word, the Holy Spirit guiding us shows us the wrong thing. Like we, we all kind of think that, well, you know, the government is the problem. You know, Obama is the problem. Well, Alabama football is the real problem, you know. We have ideas of what the problem is, but what is the ultimate problem? We don't love Jesus, we love sin. And so the Holy Spirit comes to show us what's wrong, show us what's wrong with our own heart. And then in verse 10, the Holy Spirit shows us what's right. Look at verse 10 again. He says, concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. So the Holy Spirit comes to show us what is right, how to live rightly, how to live righteously. We don't live righteously on our own. We don't know how to live right, but the Holy Spirit guides us in that truth, in that plan. Because of our sin, we're not able to accurately judge what is right. That's why there are so many wars today. That's why there's so much sin around us. We all have an understanding of truth. We all have an understanding of what is right, and that gets skewed, and that's why God's word has to direct us. And then in verse 11, he tells us who wins. Look again, concerning judgment, because the ruler of the world is judged. Who's going to win? Jesus wins. The ruler of the world, the enemy, Satan, has already been judged. And by going to the cross, he says, I'm going to go to the Father. So, so by going to the cross, dying on the cross, resurrecting from the grave, Jesus wins. He defeats death. He conquers sin. He crushes the head of the serpent. He kills this enemy. And through him, we win as well. We are able to win. We are able to experience the gift of the Holy Spirit. Verses 13 and 15 tell us, what this Holy Spirit is going to do. And, and, and the promise of the gift is that he will guide you into all truth. So in the midst of our suffering, he guides us into the way of truth. Now, jump back to verse 22 and 24. Here's, here's where we'll land today. This is, this is good stuff, by the way. This is great stuff. So also, look at it again. You will have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your heart's will rejoice. Oh, by the way, <clears throat> the word sorrow, verse 20, a couple times there. The word sorrow, again in verse 22. But then, your hearts will rejoice, 
and no one will take your joy from you. This is, this is big. Think about this. Jesus tells us no one can take your joy away from you. If you are unhappy today, if you are not experiencing joy in life today, if you don't have joy in your marriage, if you don't have joy at work, if you don't have joy you know, in, in, emotionally, guess what? No one can take your joy away from you. Nobody can do that. It's an impossibility for me to take your joy away from you. I can't even force you to be unhappy. I can do things, I can, I can say things about you, but I, I can never take your joy away from you. However, you and I can give our joy away, can't we? We give it away. Turn to the person next to you and say, don't give your joy away. Don't give it away. Don't give your joy away. See, too many Christians, I think, are, are living our life you know, in pain. We're, we're living our life as the world would live, and we're forgetting that we have joy in Christ, that, that nobody can take it away. Circumstances can't dictate it. Finances aren't going to wreck it. The doctor comes in and gives us bad news, not going to take it from me because my joy is not found in earthly pleasure. Therefore, the world can take it away. There's purpose in our pain. Jesus says you're gonna have suffering. You're gonna have sorrow. But joy will emerge out of sorrow when, look at it, underline it, live it, experience it, when I see you again. Now for the disciples, that meant after the resurrection. For you and I, that means ultimately one day through faith in Christ, we'll see him face to face in heaven. All the pain, all the suffering will then be worth it. We'll say, now I get it, now I understand. I see you face to face. True ultimate joy now, I'm with Jesus. But he also means in this world. When we see Jesus, we experience joy. When we see Jesus, we experience joy. When we experience him, we experience joy. Now, now in our country today, there, there, there's a lot of unhappiness going around. A recent CNN article um, wrote about a doctor named Ronald Dworkin. He tells the story of a woman who went to go see the doctor, and she didn't like how her husband was handling the finances at home and how it was making her unhappy. And so the doctor prescribed to this woman some antidepressants to try to help her feel happier. And so she went home, she took the medication, and it did make her feel happier. Ultimately, though, the husband, because of his bad financial decisions, ruined the family financially. And so his point was, in, in his book, there, there's a book called Artificial Unhappiness, The Dark Side of the New Happy Class. What he's saying is, the woman's husband, after leading them to financial ruin, is prescribing the wrong kind of medication, prescribing the wrong answer, because doctors are now medicating unhappiness. Too many people, he says, take drugs when they really need to make changes in their life. Dworkin says the proof is in the statistics. According to a government study, antidepressants have become the most commonly prescribed drugs in the United States. They're prescribed more than drugs to uh, treat high blood pressure, high cholesterol, asthma, or headaches. In its study, the U.S. 
uh, Centers for Disease and Control Prevention look, looked at 2.4 billion drugs prescribed by doctors and hospitals, and this was in 2005, and of those, 118 million were for antidepressants. So the reality is, you know, the answer for the world for your unhappiness is to take some, you know, chemically, you know, affecting brainwave drugs. Now, I get it. Some people experience true anti, you know, depression or, or true depression and, and there's some chemical things going on there. But 118 million I think there, there, there's too many prescriptions going out. You know, the, the answer is not in a drug. The answer is in a deeper uh, spiritual resolution. And his name is Jesus. Nobody can take your joy away from you. Let's think about it logically. Put away all your emotions right now, all the pain and suffering that you're going through, and think about it logically. Here's why nobody can take your joy from you. Number one, Jesus is the source of joy, amen? He is the source of joy. There is no joy found in earthly pleasures. It's all temporary. A vacation, cool for the week. You know, drugs, okay for the night, make you feel terrible the next day, make you addicted, ruin your life, right? So, so every example we could give from the world is, is gonna lead to ruin and not true joy. Jesus is the ultimate source of joy. He says, when are you gonna overcome your sorrow? When you see me again, when you see me. That's when you're going to rejoice. That's when you're going to have joy. So Jesus is the source. Secondly, the reason why nobody can take your joy away is because you will always be with Jesus. You'll always be with Jesus. As a believer, you're always going to be with him. He says, I'm going to go away for a little while, but then I'm going to come back. When I go away, you're going to be sorrowful. You know, in this world, there are going to be a lot of trouble and tribulations here, right? So, so he says, I'm going away. There's going to be trouble but you're always gonna be with me. I'm gonna send the Holy Spirit. He's gonna say what the Father says. He's gonna guide you into all truth. We are going to help you through this. So, so even when we die, even in death, we're, we're not separated from him. We are actually united with him in a deeper way. So if Jesus is the ultimate source of joy and we will never be separated from him, then that means joy can never be taken from you. You can only give it away. If you doubt God during this time of your life, you'll stop running to him. And a lot of times the pain and the suffering that he brings into our life is so that we will run to him. Oftentimes we question God during these times, and I get it, I do as well, I question God, but the problem with questioning God is we don't wait for his answer, we answer. God, why is this happening? I know why it's happening, because I'm a loser, and I did some bad stuff, and now he's judging me. Wait a minute. Whoa, whoa. We just answered the question. We didn't let God answer it. Could I have prevented this? No, I couldn't prevent this, because nobody loves me. Wait. Let's see what God says. Could I have prevented this? Well, God could have prevented it. Was it, was it really your, um, uh, was it really bad decisions? And maybe you just need to change your, your way of making decisions and maybe, you know, running to the, the ultimate source of truth and guide the Holy Spirit will make you make better decisions. Or is it just a life event, a tragic event that took place and, and you could not have prevented it? What will the outcome be? I know what the outcome will be. I'm gonna be miserable for the rest of my life. Thank you very much. 
We don't, we don't let God answer that, do we? What, what, what's the outcome gonna be? The truth is you don't know, but God does. Do I have what it takes to get through this? No, I'm weak. I can't even function. I can't even get out of bed. <laughs> we don't let God answer that. Can, can you overcome this? Truth is, God can through you. And so we wanna run to God. We wanna run to him So when we feel overwhelmed by life's trouble, he tells us that our joy cannot be taken away. How do we get it then? It can't be taken away. How do we really begin to experience this joy? Look at it again. He says, sorrow is gonna come. I'm gonna see you again. Your heart will rejoice. Nobody's gonna take it away. In that day, you will ask nothing of me. All right, we're not asking anything of you. What do you mean here, Jesus? Truly, truly, I say to you, Whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. So he's talking about prayer, okay? Up until this point, we, they prayed to God, but they didn't, they didn't say in Jesus' name or I come to you, God, in the name of Jesus. That wasn't, it wasn't a reality for the Jewish people. Now Jesus is saying, this is how you pray. You pray in my name. You ask in my name, and he will give it to you. Until now, you have asked nothing in my name. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. So ask. He's talking about prayer here. So how do, we, how do we experience joy in our life? How do we experience joy? Well, it's through our prayer life. It's through our connectedness to the source of joy. So the last two things I'll say today, you know, as, you're, as, a, as we're laying in the plane, is that if you want to experience real true joy in your walk with Christ, the first thing you do is realize that prayer connects you to the ultimate source of happiness. Prayer connects you to the ultimate source of happiness. Jesus says, I want you to pray in my name and the Father will give you, you will receive what you ask and when you receive it, your joy will be complete. Your joy will be full. He is the source of joy. So the presence of Jesus in our life is what we need. We wanna see him. We want to experience him. That means my prayer life is vital. No Christian can have fullness of joy without this vital relationship with Jesus. Knowledge about him will not bring it. Serving in God's church will not bring it. You must have a connection, a vital personal relationship with this Jesus. If you're not connecting to this ultimate source of joy, you're going to settle for cheap thrills You're gonna settle and chase after money. You're gonna settle and chase for recognition. You're gonna settle and chase for gadgets and new cars and more money, the latest and greatest, but you're gonna come up empty every single time. It's only gonna give you a glimpse of fun. Jesus is the ultimate source of joy. Look at verse 33, hop down to verse 33 there. He says, I've said these things to you, these last passages, he's kind of reiterating what he's already said. And verse 33 says, I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. You see, it's this presence of Jesus in our life that you need. It's a deeper, fuller, richer walk with Jesus that will bring you joy. It's a deeper walk with him it's in your prayer life. Jesus tells us to, 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 to go into our prayer closet. Matthew 6, 6, 6, he says, but when you pray, go into your room, shut the door, pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret 
will reward you. Go to the ultimate source of joy. Pour out your heart to him. Talk to him. Have communion with him. That he would bring you peace. That he would bring you joy. That he would guide you through this situation. Run to Jesus. The second thing that we do to receive joy. Prayer connects us to the source of joy. The second truth is that prayer gives you the power to do what you want to do. What you love to do. But you can't do on your own. You need God to do it. So as I connect with him in my prayer life, as I connect with him relationally, then he gives me the power to do what I love to do. Wouldn't you just want to be able to do what you love to do? I mean, that's what brings us joy as we walk with Christ. He allows us to do the things that we love to do. But we think all of these other things are going to bring us joy. They're not. Connecting with him does. And then we do what we love to do, but we can't do them without him. We need his presence. You know, if the only conversation I have with my wife is like day-to-day business type decisions, you're gonna pick up the kids today? Yeah, I got them. What's for dinner? Spaghetti. You know, what, what are we gonna do this weekend? I don't know, probably, probably basketball. Awesome. Watch TV, go to bed. We, can, we could live in the same house, sleep in the same bed, but the relationship could be empty, vacant. You know, some of you are so close to God, you come to church, you're around godly people, you own two or three Bibles, but you're never in them. You're never connecting with the ultimate source of joy. You know, we're trying to teach our kids how to pray, like, like some of you guys are. And so the same prayer of, you know, God bless me, give me, give me, give me, and, and do this at school and help all the people in the world who need food, and, you know, that same kind of stuff is okay for kids, but... You know, if it's the same prayer every single time, it's like that conversation with my wife that doesn't help us connect relationally. It's a business partnership. Like, I have to dive deeper into that walk with him. And, and so I read the Psalms and see how the psalmist prayed. And there's a huge difference connecting with my wife over business-type decisions and going away for a weekend where it's just her and I or going to dinner with no distractions where we actually have a conversation where we talk about deeper things going on in our hearts and deeper things that are going on in our marriage, deeper things that are going on in the world. That's where we really connect. And so the same is true with our walk with God where we get away, we go into our room, we shut the door, we dedicate time to him. And that is a consistent behavior that we begin to apply to our life. If you want peace in your life, if you want joy in your life, you connect to the ultimate source of joy. In this world, you will have trouble. In this world, there will be tribulations. And those tribulations will lead you to unhappiness unless you're connected to Jesus. And even in those times where you don't know what's going on and why it's going on and you're struggling, if you'll run to him, he'll provide the answers that you need. And it'll be a journey. And it'll be up and down. And he says, hey, that's what it's about. It's about this journey of connecting with me and loving me and understanding me. But at the end of the day, when they put that precious little baby in your arms, you'll go, oh, it was worth it. I get it now. It was worth it. Thank you, Jesus. Now I see you. Now I'm, I'm experiencing you. And it was so worth it so that I could see you for who you are. Let's pray. I just want to ask you to begin to pray. Some of you are, are just 
all consumed by the Spirit of God right now. He's just all over you. I just want to encourage you to begin to pour your heart out to Him. Begin to connect with Him. We have a room that we call the the care and prayer room. And every single week we've got volunteers that are there who pray for people to come in there that they can serve and they can help. They're praying for you even right now. So if there's a there's a need that you have, I encourage you, maybe today before you go home, you stop by, you share your heart with them, you you share what you're going through. Maybe you need somebody to pray over you, somebody to encourage you. That's what they love to do. That's why they are there. Guys, there are are guys in there. Ladies, there are ladies in there. If you've got a teenager or a daughter or a son, be glad to pray with you, encourage you. Whatever it is you're going through today, if you need Jesus, don't leave here today without giving your heart to Jesus. If you've never done that, I encourage you to stop by that room. Heavenly Father, a lot of brokenness here today. Man, your truth, it is so real. It is, it's just so powerful, God. And Lord, we just want to ask and, and pray that you would give us the guidance and the power and, the, and, and, and your presence to overcome our situation. Help us to experience joy despite our situations. And Lord, we'll give you the glory and we will give you all the honor as we connect to you, as we grow in you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening. More information about Foothills Church can be found online at foothillschurch.com.